if you're not learning, you're not listening. You're just listening to what you already know and, and validating yourself and staying stuck. So that's really why listening is the key to innovation, because it's where we learn. Every once in a while, we come across a person with a seemingly supernatural gift, as if they've been sent here with a message for us all. Suzanne Conrad is a woman who has created a new, more productive way to listen, lead, and love. She is my teacher, my friend, and a true visionary. Suzanne is unafraid to remind me, and all of us, that there is a higher way to operate and intentionally create the world that we want to be a part of. She's the co-developer of Lululemon's renowned leadership culture. She's the founder of Lightyear Leadership, where she's created curriculum based on her 30 years of experience revolutionizing culture at hundreds of organizations around the world. In this episode, Suzanne shares a framework for more productive ways of listening, ways in which we can live better together, and how we can truly love difficult people. We also talk about why it's good to be challenged, how we become what we judge, and how listening is what will give us access to a brand new future. You're listening to This Human Experience Podcast, hosted by me, Ali Nunzi. Welcome to a tender-hearted conversation with spiritual leaders and community innovators from around the world about understanding what shapes and drives people's way of being in the world every day by diving deep into their human experience, their behaviors, interactions, routines, rituals, beliefs, and perspectives. We believe once we understand people's human experience, empathy is created and true listening begins to happen. Through empathy and listening, tolerance is replaced with compassion, acceptance, and the understanding that everything belongs. Each of us belongs at the table. Your human experience belongs. My human experience belongs. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy. I am here with one of my most favorite and beloved teachers and friends, Suzanne Conrad, who I'll let her introduce herself in just a moment. Before I bring Suzanne into the conversation, I wanted to share why Suzanne, as the person who is important to be on episode two with me, which is really the first time that we will be in this back and forth conversation. The thing that you need to know is that when the pandemic happened for us here in the U.S. back in March, I was invited to be on a phone call, a Zoom call with Suzanne and and some members of a community. And Suzanne had asked us three important questions that led me to uh, the catalyst of this podcast. The questions that she asked were, what have you always wanted to do? What can you do? 
And what does the soul of the world need now? And I thought, Ugh, it's time to get that podcast going. And at that time, just like everyone else in the U.S., we thought we would have two weeks of downtime. And here we are in December, nine months later, and so much has changed, been uprooted, been um, busted up. Our routines have come apart. So this conversation really is about what does Suzanne have to share with us or what can she share with us um, that will make a difference in our listening and our learning and what there is to do now as human beings and collective humanity. So welcome, Suze. Thank you, you busy lady, for taking time to be with us and um, leave us with your amazing genius. Well, thank you so much. I am completely happy to be here with you, Allie. Suze, I'd love to start with you sharing about your life, hmm. just a little bit um, so that the listener can know who you are, hmm. okay. your background. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little bit about my background. I, um, I'm now 60 years old. I was born on an island and I have a deep love for nature. Uh, I took a ferry to school every day. Uh, until I was 14. And then I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where I got to experience race riots firsthand being in the South in 1974. Um, and I went off to college, super sort of smart neck up person. What I mean by neck up is somebody who gets straight A's and doesn't really have a deep connection to their intuition. <laughs> and uh, I went off to college and through a number of different choices and errors, human experiences, whatever you want to call them, I became a mom really young and faced the challenges of staying in school and what that meant. So even though I'm white and, and I do come from privilege, I certainly had a bit of a smash up there. And, and so I grew up fast. And I'd say um, one thing listeners might want to know is I, I made a deal young with uh, God, creator, whatever word you want to use to say, look, if I'm going to have this baby, you'd better make me uh, wise at a more accelerated rate <laughs> so that when my baby's 18, I'll be able, I'll be able to deal with them. So that's just a bit about me um, pre-career, but just the background, wonderful parents, wonderful sister, wonderful life. Um, and let's say a self-generated challenge in uh, my early twenties. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I know that what I know that I know that I know is that our adversities really create us. And um, will you share a bit about your body of work in the Lightyear community? Yeah. So Lightyear, I feel, is one of my children. I have four, and so I feel like Lightyear has been with me for all of time, and that part of it has a stem cell somewhere in my body, even though it's its own being. So Lightyear uh, evolved 
for me as almost a synthesis or an integration of my own experiences, just the way everybody learns, you know, we learn and then we integrate them and then we share them back because that's one of the ways that we can have a more illuminated life. In very practical terms, I'd like to say uh, that Lightyear is is like the, the peloton of leadership and movement. You know, a lot of the community members are yoga teachers and more, dancers and more, athletes and more. Uh, and I believe that Lightyear is providing a body of work that legitimizes the innate intelligence that's always present in someone who has an athletic or creative physical expression. And it's one of the things I love most about Lightyear. Mm. Me too. <laughs> so what you should know at home is that I've been working with Suzanne um, through her cohort of coaches in training since April 1st of this past spring. And so a lot of what my own work, my own creativity has been born out of the push that I've received um, from Suzanne and, and from the Lightyear community. And so this podcast and these conversations through my work with you, Suzanne, and the ability to listen for what there is to do now was that I know that what I'm here to do, one of the vocations, the callings that I have is to facilitate important conversations about humanity that can connect us. It's a right now phenomena and it's not. It's, I think with the advent of social media, it occurs as a right now phenomena. Um, But we've been going through what we're going through, pandemics, plagues, oppressions, Uh, since the beginning of time. And we're experiencing it now at a a rapid rate because it's right in the palm of our hand. So we can't look away. And what I hear that there is to do is look at the social fragmentation, look at the ways that we're dividing our, our collective human experience. And through listening which is you teach this so well, um, the ways in which we can listen to ourselves. I think that, you know, because social media, everybody has an opinion and everyone can voice it. And this is my podcast. My opinion is that we have lost or perhaps we haven't yet to find the ability to listen to ourselves and so many of us are crying out for, you know, there's no listening. They're not listening. The the right's not listening. The left's not listening. The, you know, everyone's not listening. And I sense that we can't possibly listen to another, their perspective, their subjectivity, their objectivity, if we don't first have that for ourselves. And it starts right here with myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so, so we're going to talk about listening, which is in and of itself ironic because we do need to be able to bring to language through speaking a way to point at what we experience as listening. So I assert that all of us 
are always and only listening to the voices in our head, but to distinguish some of the things you've said, Ali, it isn't always the real us. It could be echoes of social expectations. It could be vestiges of what we call in light your inherited legacies of how we believe we should be, what we should do. It could be the voices of fear and doubt, uh, unhealed traumas from you know, the basketball court when we're in seventh grade, right? All the unhealed things start to want to speak up within our mind. And until a person really takes themselves in their own arms and, and begins to sort out what voices in their own mind there are to listen to that are worthy and passion-filled and purpose-filled, then it, it's just a tricky, it's a tricky world in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's oxymoronic. We're so complicated, each one of us, so complex, and yet we're so simple. Mm. You know, it really, it really is just that. And um, embracing our complexity and then laughing at how human it all is. Exactly. <laughs> I have to kind of go, wait, what? And see, so one of the things I like to do in light year, and I don't even do it well, but I do it well enough that it's funny, is I like to give my voices different accents and different names so that I can keep them sorted out. And and I can start to figure out really who I am in all of it. It doesn't mean I have to suppress any of them because they're interesting sometimes and funny. But the ones that are definitely dark and moany, I don't invite as much. And over time, as a person practices listening to the different voices and asking the quest I on the question, is that actually me? (laughs) Then they do begin to build a muscle where they can uh, know what to do. And, you know, the ordinary world calls that self-trust. The ordinary world calls that confidence. They'll say, oh, that's a confident person. No, that's a person who's sorted out what to listen to in their own mind and then take action on it. It's so beautiful. And what comes to mind for me is how the world would be so different and so forward moving if we all did that, if we took that on as a practice. Well, that's what we're doing on lightyear.co. So it's really fun to be in the company of many, 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 many people who are in that practice as a community because then we don't need to judge it or make it wrong. We can say, wow, this is a pretty human experience to you know, be in the cacophony and the echoing sonar of different thoughts bouncing off of everything and attempting to find that beautiful line of self and true direction and purpose while still loving people as they're banging around doing whatever they're doing. I teach a lot about um, how to love people that you don't like. Because that's also where we need to start with ourselves is to love the parts of ourselves we don't like. You know, Mm. maybe that's uh, our hips. You know, maybe that's a grade that we didn't earn in our past. But whatever there is, you know, that we consider a fault or a flaw or an annoyance in ourself, as we begin to love that, we find that our capacity to be compassionate for everybody else exponentially grows. That's, that's my big insight. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Wow. One of my intentions with our conversation today is to set up as people move, as people listen to this podcast moving forward, we'll have all kinds of, 
of human experiences, pun intended, but we'll have all kinds of people that identify in so many different ways. And it'll be a good thing if some of these conversations challenge you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. say a little bit more about how, how do we do that, Suze? How do we love people that we don't agree with or that we have um, our belief system is in opposition to their belief system? Ah, okay. How do we? How do I? Well, one of the ways is to begin to speak from I. So when I take responsibility for my own perspectives and my own choice to uh, discern what another person is saying and not judge them, it gives them a lot more room to be. So how I uh, love people that I don't have the same view with is to recognize that we are on a planet. It's actually law school where we're all learning universal law. We're all going to become universal law lawyers. And the primary objective here is to exercise free will. So when someone is different than me, I go, oh, right, I'm on the free will planet. So what is there for me to learn and to expand and to understand? The other thing that's been really helpful for me is if I go in to combat or to argue or what my teacher Dorothy Espio would call right fighting with someone, like a oh, opinion, an open ion, like a de debate, like take the bait, like, like a fish, there's not very much learning that happens. There's a whole, uh, oh God, somebody smart had a quote like this and I don't remember who. There's a whole uh, lot of heat and fire, but not a lot of light. Mm. So in, in light year, I'm always interested in, well, what has that person see it that way? What goes on in their life that that occurs as true for them? Who can I become so that they if they chose to, would have enough room to do a U-turn. Because if we don't give people enough space, their ego will require, the negative ego will require that they stay attached to that opinion, that open ion. And people have been known to die for things like that. Beliefs are often deadly. They're at the seat of religious wars, wars that disintegrate families. So I really dedicated my life and the work of Lightyear to make the discovery and disassembly and reassembly of beliefs fun. Because people tend, especially in corporate leadership work, the way I, you know, I've had most of my career, people steer away from that because it's, you know, it's heavier lifting. So you got to have a light heart to be able to talk about what you believe is true and real and important about the world, what really drives you. Most people don't want to talk about that. They just want to simply dominate someone else. How true. And how guilty am I in, in a, you know, not too far away uh, previous life that was me. I was right. I was justified. I was um, morally correct. And people were morally bankrupt. I lived my life in that space. And I've, learn that I cannot create a world of belonging, which is ultimately my, my personal mission um, or the way that I would like to contribute to the world. I can't do any of that if I'm sitting around, you know, lobbying my opinion on Facebook to uh, 
a family member I haven't, you know, I haven't seen or heard from in 30 years or whatever it is. What's coming to mind for me now is what do we do to restore ourselves when the high road gets exhausting? <laughs> what do we do to restore ourselves when the high road gets exhausting? Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I'd say we laugh, <laughs> play a song, dance. Because here's the thing, you know, as long as the high road doesn't mean that we're casting people on the low road, you, you know, maybe we take a walk on the low road and go, hey, bro. <laughs> I'm like, can I have a hot dog? I don't know. You know, it's, it's maybe just that simple. Maybe it's to, to not feel like there has to be a high road. Maybe to step away from duality, maybe. Yeah. Eat a donut. I don't know. You know, <laughs> get sprinkles. Just somehow have it not be so uh, right and wrong. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. Dorothy, uh, my teacher, would talk about what's correct. Now, that sounds also like it's got that moral edge, right, wrong, good, bad. Yet to me, correct, incorrect means that I'm discerning and I'm sensing and I'm testing. Okay, just as you did when you were presented with those three questions of what have you always wanted to do? What can you do? And what does the soul of the world need now? You were listening from the intersection of those three questions to see what landed in the, the like landing pad of those three things. And that, that's listening. That's listening for what's correct for us, for each person doing their own listening. And I feel like that restores me from when I'm tired of the high road. Because the high road, honestly, is always going to be tiring. Because it means that you have to deal with the schleppy people on the low road. <laughs> and I, we all know how hard and work they are. <laughs> Pardon for picking on you, Allie, but like, <laughs> I just had to, you set yourself up, sweetheart. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. You know, and um, part of my, as you would say, my developmental focus for this, for what I'm up to in the world is I, um, oh, here's the secret. I don't like to have fun. <laughs> Is that ridiculous? <laughs> that is ridiculous. Oh my God. Okay, so ridiculous. Yeah, but, okay. So now so, why? Where, where'd you learn that? You weren't born that way. You know, um, maybe I was. My, my parents are, are serious people and, um, and we do use humor, but it's more, it's, it's, you know, we're from New Jersey. So it veers on the edge of sarcasm. I got to check mm -hmm. myself there. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, the belief that I inherited was that if you're not working hard, mm. there is no worth to your life. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, um, I check all the boxes. I'm a quintessential Virgo. I'm an Enneagram three, I, you know, all those whatever ways in which someone else projects how you should operate in the world. And so what I'm learning, and it's really just this weekend, I've been cracking up like at every turn because I'm, I'm reaffirming that if we're not letting that light in, which mm. in a cerebral sense, I, I get that, um, nothing really gets created. Yeah, because we need the, the light to see. So 
Here's a funny story, Allie. In, in July of 2019, the retina of my right eye detached fully. And uh, so what they do is they take a laser light and they reattach it. But what you have to do while you heal is have your face face down in something sort of like a, a, a massage table face thing and be in that position for 45 minutes out of every hour and to the best of your ability, even when you sleep for 14 days. <laughs> so, so, and all the while I'm like, oh my God, my eye sees upside down and communicates with my brain. So I had all this time to actually contemplate how light and vision works and that it's way more than just simply what we see. It's also how we interpret it. But anyway, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is I couldn't watch TV really, or, or, you know, I listened to some podcasts. I did a lot of meditation, but in the evening when I wanted to be with my family, my daughter Hunter laid me on this massage table and then she just put on sitcom. (laughs) I could hear it. And I was like, wow, you know, through the ages, the genius people. Now, some people just do schlock and they go for, you know, the easy laugh and the sarcasm or the, or the sex or the grody. But the people that really have genius, they move the world forward with humor because what humor does is it unlocks that unseen belief that everybody goes, oh yeah, I do that. So I'm a huge fan of happiness, fun, and humor. Um, and I'll tell you what, it chases off worry, fear, and doubt just the way when you turn a light on in a room, darkness scatters. So brilliant. And that's simple. I, I had a, I went to art school and I had a, um, a 3D design professor. Um, maybe my misery happened in art school. So if you're listening to this and you, you do not need to pay someone over $100,000 to do, if you want to do art, just do art for art's sake. But anyway, I had a 3D design professor, you know, when I was 17 years old, tell me, you know, Allie, happiness is a questionable concept. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we go with my giant tweezers and extract this incorrect question from your young brain because it has haunted you for years, my dear. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, you know, in um the world of art sometimes in some circles it's you know, you you win some kind of nondescript prize for who could be the most miserable. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I find that to be, you know, right now, the social justice conversation, the political conversation, the coronavirus conversation is who can bathe in the most misery shall win the prize or, or something. It occurs to me like that. And what I love about the anecdote that you're encouraging us to consider is that without the light, nothing grows. You know, like the imagery that I can see is like trying to grow herbs in your kitchen or something. It's like without the light, you're just going to have like moldy, mucky mess. <laughs> well, you're very familiar with, uh, with the Light Your Principle, the line of choice, which really is born from the wonderful work of, of Dorothy Wood Espio, who I'd like to acknowledge since... Uh, this podcast is launching in December of 2020. She left the planet in December of 2015. And 
she really hasn't left the planet because I feel her so deeply in me. And that's the power of having a teacher. That's the power of being a student. Um, and anyway, back to the line of choice. Uh, you know, the whole shift about being in judgment is, is really being in reaction. And then what's above the line of choice and in choice is, is discernment. So one of the things I got to learn, especially during that time of living in Louisville, Kentucky in 1974, is I really got to feel in my body what it felt like to hate the people who were haters. Mm. I was so righteous. I just hated the people that were part of the Ku Klux Klan and were burning the buses. And I felt so superior and so right. And I remember how that felt in my body. It felt awful, like a pit in the stomach. And I realized like it wasn't until I started to study with Dorothy in my 30s that what we judge, we become. I really mm. wanted to be their executioner and be mm. right about it. And I was like, ooh, what an icky thing for this beautiful 14-year-old girl with her whole life in front of her. And so I hope that's shedding some light on the semi-insanity of, you know, F the haters, uh, judge the judges. It just really doesn't work. Yeah. It's, it's a stuck pattern, people. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's has no uh, fruit at the bottom of the basket, you know? Yeah. And it begs the question, what, what do I want to see then? You know, I, and I'll ask myself that, like, what's, you know, what's my best case scenario here? What's the best possible outcome when I'm in that place of arguing about belief systems and and relating to these, um, you know, it's the fine line between, I, I do consider myself in some fashion an activist and what I've re-evaluated and reaffirmed for myself is that this kind of a conversation, this way of being, um, it allows for creating something that doesn't exist. So we can find about the way that it's been. Okay, fine. And then we get more of the way that it's been. Or we can acknowledge it, appreciate it, as you would say, what's the appreciation and learning here? And then move whatever gold forward that needs to be moved forward. And I, um, a person who I uh, really admire and have admired for a, a long time, he passed away this summer, Senator John Lewis. And what he taught was this third way. And Suze, a lot of what you're speaking to for me is, is that. It's this third way. There's, um, you know, we can fight and and. And, and have our righteousness. We could be completely passive and, um, you know, pretend that nothing's happening, or we could really be productive in the world. And I believe that's what you're teaching people to do all over the planet. What do you have for the listeners? Like, what can you, um, what do you hear there is to share with us over here about this third way, the third choice, the one that might not be so obvious, you know, because we're so hardwired for right and wrong. We're so hardwired for um, yes or no. And the and the non-dualistic approach that you're 
speaking to. What do you got for us? Okay, well, let's let's do it on a couple levels. So, for um, for an individual like myself, as I was saying, uh, the first thing is to notice that there is a choice, there is a third way, and that that third way could be an infinite number of third ways. So for instance, when I feel that tension in my body where I feel stuck, like, oh, I I either have to do it this way or or that way, then I know, oh, okay, that's that sensation of when I'm stuck. So now I'm going to call on the land of and (laughs) and and go there. And so one of the techniques that I use is anytime we ask ourselves a strategic and essential question, it'll refocus our attention from the limbic system, which is fear-based, to the frontal lobe. So I could ask myself the question, hmm, what is it time for now? I could ask myself the question, what's in the best interest of everyone here? How can I best serve? And those and options are going to start to reveal themselves. And then I can use that same idea of like what's correct for me to to sort of fit and then know what to say and what to do. Then on a a community level, uh, the other evening, you were also part of this, Allie, as a business leader, as an entrepreneur, as a woman community leader, I love to have very intentional listening sessions where I might see exactly how I want to cultivate my business. And I want to share that, yet I want to have what we call in light your depth and imagination sessions where I really listen to the ideas of other people so that I can get all the colors of the 64 crayon box to start to see, oh boy, there's so many ands out there and my world could be so much richer if I'm able to find a way to incorporate all the possibilities that other people see. Yet for me to have had that second thing I just talked about, I needed to have had that first thing. Because if I'm still stuck in the belief that I'm the leader and I have to have the answer, then I don't get to have the grace of asking the question of the community so that I can integrate their perspectives. And if I may give an example on another level, the people that are creating the world's most innovative businesses today are listening for what does the soul of the world need now? Because the soul of the world is changing. And those leaders as they stay in communication with their, I want to say more than, it's not just customers. You see, that's really where, oh gosh, tangible things. I have to tell a story and then I can be tangible. So in my early career, I led the comment resolution process for something called an environmental impact statement. That's really the grandmother of environmental laws. And it's where the federal government, when they're doing a big action, they have to ask the question of what are all the impacts of this action? So if they're putting in a dam, what does it mean to the air, the water, the community, the economic resources? And they have to look at the cumulative impact and they ask a a question worth answering. So as a young woman, I was always on the side of resolving the comments that came in from all the different affected parties. And so listening was a key skill in doing that. Listening is what will give us a brand new future. 
And it's not only, this is why I wanted to tell the story, it's not only listening out to others, it's listening up, listening to what's what's the best outcome, as you said, what's what is my purpose in this? If I want my life to matter and contribute to other people's, what is there for me to see? So that's another way that listening can work on a governmental level, just the way it could work on a business level. When a business leader is listening to the feedback of their guests, they actually will create a company that could have not existed before because it's a call and response. The exchange of money and energy is one of the key transformational elements to reach illumination. So what do you want? This is what I want. You know, that back and forth. And the power of listening really is the power of creation. Yeah, amen to that. You know, um, Suze, one thing I wanted to share as a, it came to me as a show note right before we hopped on um, to chat today is that you, you have stated that you are calling and what you're putting your attention on is that your calling is to challenge people to upgrade their beliefs so that they can um, get beyond their current ones and have enough faith in themselves and the world to do whatever they choose and want to do. Yeah. Tell us, yeah, tell us about that. Well, you know, if you're going to be an interruption, you want to have your interruption contribute. So I believe that people need each other to interrupt and disrupt some of their patterns and programs. And I, I like to do that gently and in, in a kind and loving way. So that's what Lightyear does. But I'd say that, see, if a person has a belief that they came into this world and they're at a certain socioeconomic class or a race or whatever, whatever this stuff is, and they can only do X, then that's, they're limited to that. So it's one thing to have all the structural challenges that need to be changed, but it's another thing to believe you are that. Mm -hmm. And so then if each individual can learn how to liberate themselves from that kind of spiritual mindset slavery, then we can have a better world. And I, you know, uh, people that use computers, you know how the software always comes in and it says, you know, would you like to upgrade? And then you have the choice that says not now. A lot of times people choose not now because it's disrupting to get, take the upgrade. You know, it takes some energy. I watch my mom. She's 88. She's like, oh my God, another upgrade. But that's how we learn and grow. Same for me. I'm like, oh my God, I just learned how it was and now it's changing. Yes. Yes, it is. And so am I. And we're here to ride that wave, ride that human experience, be something bigger and express our potential, you know, uh, unlock the gift. I'm probably sure that's what I was talking about when I said, whatever you said, I said. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You're amazing. Sees, while we're here together, I wanted to acknowledge you and I wanted to share some tangible things that I've gotten from our work together and our relationship, which actually goes back not as in, intensely uh, 
a few years ago. So I um, have many friends that have worked with Suzanne um, in corporate leadership things that she's done over the years. And I knew, I'm like, hey, I like, this lady's pretty cool. So I enrolled myself into a, a training program. This was about three years ago because I was in this training with you and I had a, a preemie, our daughter. She just turned three um, in October. And so... Um, you know, mildly kept in touch through uh, mutual friends and mutual network. And uh, I had dinner at Suzanne's house in Santa Monica in January of last year. And we were sharing about some work that I had been a part of um, in doing um, some social healing work. And we invited you to come to a summit that we were hosting in March which was when the first few cases of the coronavirus were happening in Washington State. We were in California. And so I went home and I had to close my brick and mortar businesses. And I was listening for, okay, Allie, if this is two weeks, you got to, let's, you know, here's my, here's my Virgo. Got to be productive with that two weeks. And Suze, you had called and said, you know, I'm considering doing this light year coaching cohort, what do you think? Could you do it? And I said, yes. I didn't even consider what it entailed, but I did say yes. And um, on the first call, Suzanne has an amazing way of leading you um, into using your innate intelligence and using your, your listening and your visioning technique to create what's you know, it has not happened yet. And so very first call, I want to say it was maybe in the like first 12 minutes, you asked us, how will life be different? March of 2021, and I had this vision in this meditation that I was pulling up to my house and I had just left a, like a major fundraising conversation. And my husband was there with our toddler and he was holding a baby. And I thought, oh shit, I better get to work because we only had one child at the time. And then by, you know, like a couple Saturdays later, I, you know, was texting Susan. I'm like, I'm pregnant. So I've also <laughs> been um, growing a baby who uh, is due actually um, any day now. But, you know, there's been so many tangible things that I've uh, been the recipient of as a result of working with Susan, the Lightyear um, cohort, and and being a, an active member in the Lightyear community. So, Suzanne, I'm curious from the listener standpoint because, like me, so many years ago, I was just like, "How do I work with this lady? She's so cool. I want to be like her. I want to learn from her." Talk a bit about what's coming up in 2021. Um, and for you all listening at home, here's my personal encouragement. If you're sitting around and you're worried, if you're sitting around and you don't know what to do, if you're at home or you've lost your job, you've lost your way, you're fearful about what's to come, get yourself in some kind of developmental program not as another way to be productive in some way, but to use your energy for good. And that's what had me sign up for um, Lightyear. So I just want to know what what's up in the Lightyear community in 2021? How can the listener get involved and be a part of all these wonderful, amazing things? 
Wow. I'm so happy that all of that is happening for you, Allie. So dear listener of wonderful Allie, uh, you can come to lightyear.co and begin with Power My Future. You could begin with a workshop uh, and, and begin to experience what we call light hours, which are uh, community gatherings. So there's a way for everyone to belong. Those are some of the first steps all the way to we will um, on Earth Day of 2021 be launching another Light Your Coach training cohort. And we're really looking to announce that and receive applications and empower that next group of people in addition to offering level two to the people that are going to be graduating. In addition, okay, so here's what happened, Dolly. It's like you launching a podcast, being pregnant. I woke up one morning and I, I'm teaching a, a course called Whole Prosperity that'll, that'll launch, I believe, February 3rd. And then I heard, Suzanne, don't just teach that course, like teach all the principles around it because people are going to need to reboot around money and wealth and how to get their lost time back. Because if they go into regret, they're going to program themselves to stay in regret instead of taking the leap. So 2021 is setting us up for a leap. So at, you know, 60 years of age, I was like, really, I'm going to do all that. And I'm like, yeah, really, you're going to do all that. Um, And there'll also be a wonderful book called Get There Now, Transform Yourself and the World Through Laughter, Learning and the Power of Choice. And depending on (laughs) how much else I get done, we'll see when that gets published. Okay, Suze, let's go full circle. What the soul of the world needs now, right now, what do you sense that we, and um, by we, I mean literally me and the, li- the listeners here, what can you give us that we can take away from this conversation and begin to implement right now? Hmm. The power is in the question. So setting up a practice, whether it's in the morning or maybe in the evening, to ask, what does the soul of the world need now? And then being in the space to listen and hear back is what the soul of the world needs now. The world wants to be in communication with us, wants us as humans to be able to activate the possibility that we are on the earth. So for instance, right now, I'll do it. I haven't planned this. Let's just check. So what have I always wanted to do? What can I do? What does the soul of the world need now? And now I'm listening. The soul of the world uh, (laughs) needs... um, more songs and and more dances. It needs more people from different walks of life to create songs and dances together. Uh, What I've always wanted to do and what I can do and what the soul of the world needs now is, so let's listen. So you just stay with it and, and, and you don't have to feel awkward in the gap between when you ask the question and when you hear is... So you'll notice I use my voice. And if I were doing this inside my own mind, uh, even without this being an audio recording, I would say what the soul of the world needs now is. So I lift my voice up 
in faith that there is an answer coming. I have an expectant heart. Uh, <laughs> you know what I heard? <laughs> the soul, what the soul of the world needs now is to be heard. It's like thanking us. See, it's a, it, we really simply are designed to be in communication, communion, in community, heaven and earth. We're, we're the tree that connects, you know, we're the arms that go up and the feet that walk. And uh, it just likes being asked. <laughs> right? Like you go to your mom and say, mom, what do you need now? And they might check and go, nothing, honey, but thanks for asking. It's like that. Being in relationship. Being in relationships, really beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne. And um, we'll look forward to more conversation with you. And um, I'll look forward to working with you in the coming year and all the things that um, Lightyear is up to and all the ways that we'll be in relationships. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much and have a wonderful birth. And thank you for birthing your podcast series. Thank you for listening to this episode and being a part of this important conversation. I hope it has you spreading more compassion, acceptance, and understanding throughout your community. If you enjoyed this conversation, hit the subscribe button, write us a review, or share it with a friend. And connect with me on Instagram, at Ali Nunzi. Share what you learned and loved about this episode on your social media accounts and tag me. New episodes drop every other Wednesday, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.